Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Okay, I can have the, I can have the blinds open if you want so you can have like a little bit of like... Oh, look at that. Black. What do you look out upon, James? Is there a street? A there? petrol station. Oh, interesting. I'll, uh, and amazingly, there was an there was a, an attempted raid there, and I totally oh, missed way. it. Oh. I know. I was, I was really gutted when I found out. I was like, oh, I would have had the perfect view. I'll yeah. take a picture. I'll, I'll send I'd like to see, um, I'd like to have a view like that. A petrol station is probably quite a fun thing to watch late at night. Well, because it closes at about 11. Oh, that's right. So it's, it's not too exciting. It, quite it doesn't have a night window. Unfortunately not, no. Oh, I used to love a night window back when we were young. There you go, John. Oh, let's have a look. Gulf, Texaco. Shell. Shell. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Post-apocalyptic. Britain, an ancient kingdom with legends of violence, cruelty, and torment in its blood. Join your hosts, Ross, John, and James, as they bravely tread where few would dare. Witness their journey into the horrific history of British horror. They are... General Witch Finders. Ladies and gentlemen, goblins and ghouls, welcome to the third episode of the General Witchfinders podcast. I'm James in Bournemouth on the south coast of England. Uh, John Pountney here, and I'm in Pontypridd in the south of Wales. And I'm Ross in Dorchester in southern England. And today's episode, we are going to cover Sapphire and Steel, Assignment 4. All irregularities will be handled by the forces controlling each dimension. Heavy elements may not be used where there is life. Medium atomic weights are available. Gold, lead, copper, 
jet, diamond, radium, sapphire, silver and steel. Sapphire and steel have been assigned. Sapphire and steel are two interdimensional operatives. Time is a corridor that surrounds everything, but there are weak spots where time, implied to be a malignant force, can break into the present and take things. There are also creatures from the beginnings and ends of time that roam the corridor looking for the weaknesses to break through. Sapphire and steel are two of the group of beings described as medium atomic weighted elements who act as guardians of time. The landlord of a lost and found shop has gone missing. The new landlord cannot be described by the remaining tenant, his face somehow hidden from her mind. Strange children are seen playing in the yard in anachronistic clothing. What were the experiments the missing landlord was undertaking? Why are there photographs throughout his flat with people missing from them? Starring David McCallum as Steele and Joanna Lumley as Sapphire, produced by ATV. It ran from 1979 to 1982 on the ITV network in Great Britain. The audience figures were unusually high for a science fiction series with the first episode gaining 11.8 million viewers. The show has never been repeated on UK terrestrial television, but has gained a cult following with Sapphire and Steele's adventures, continuing in audio form on Big Finish. Sapphire and Steel was something I wanted to cover, mainly because this particular story is something I haven't seen since I was, I must have been five or six, well, we could probably look it up because if it's never been repeated, I would have seen yep. it on, um, on, so 1979, so probably about five years old, five or six years old. Yep. Yep. But there yep. was the particular image of a faceless man on a set of stairs with some children mm. around him. Mm. Which is has been burnt into my mind as something which terrified me as a child. It's haunted you. Yeah, I, and I've I've watched other Sapphire and Steels, but I've never watched this particular one. So right. I thought mm. I'd bring this to the table and see what everyone thought. Well, I shall say I had never seen a second of Sapphire and Steel. I was very aware of what it was, and um, I've brought along this evening a copy of a book that Ross very kindly got for me. The uh, the iconic Scarred for Life, volume number one, the 1970s. Yes. And they wax lyrical about it. And so I'd read plenty about it, so I knew roughly what the plot was, and I knew it had never been repeated. Uh, and unlike Ross, I never saw it as as a child. So I've, it's one of those things. I never felt the need to kind of seek it out when they did kind of reissue it on DVD, when DVDs or VHS even earlier than that. I didn't think, like, I must watch this. I, I was never exposed to enough people or... Uh, uh, enough information that said you've really got to watch Sapphire and Still. So I had not seen a minute of it until this week. How about you, John? What's your Sapphire and Still background? I remember it existing as a kid, and I think I probably must have watched it, but I've got no memories of it. I've just looked up that it was on, as James said, it was on ATV, mm. which then turned into Central in about 1982. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have been from the same studio that brought you the the Mighty Crossroads. Indeed. There's not much of a crossover, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, so it's something I've always been aware of. And I know it's got a massive cult following. But again, mm. something that I've never really... I don't think I ever really even knew what it was about, actually. So I was quite intrigued. So after watching it, have you got a better idea of what it's about? Yes, uh, absolutely, certainly. I thought it was excellent. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Right from the get-go, I thought, leisurely pace. uh, Yeah, great. Right up your street. I like anything with a leisurely pace. I've watched Assignment 1, which is some children's parents disappearing in a house and some very quite disturbing 
visuals pop up in that one, which straight away, was, particularly in the first episode, I was like, wow, this is great. And then it went on and on and on. I think some of the <laughs> early, earlier ones are like six episodes long. They're, I think Assignment 2 or Assignment 3 is a haunted uh, railway platform with like a First World War soldier on there. And I think you would love Ooh, that one, John. Yeah, that sounds good. But with a ghost hunter trying to investigate everything. Mm, that sounds good, yeah. Mm. But again, it goes on for quite a long time. This one, I was quite pleased to find out it was four episodes long. When we was talking on our WhatsApp group before watching it, when you was a bit concerned that it was more than one episode, John, and mm. me and James were saying, we can skip half of it because it's just an, it's a, a recap of what happened in the episode before. <laughs> yes, the reprise. <laughs> and I thought this one was probably, still felt it quite slow, quite slow but I think it was, yes, it was it about is. the right length for, for one of these stories. Yeah, it's always hard to watch something in one sitting that's designed to be watched over a month. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So you'd you'd watch a 25-minute episode and then you wouldn't see it again for a, for a week. And at the point it was transmitted, unless you were really rich, you wouldn't be able to, to record it either. No, well, me and John were talking about, because I resubscribe, even though I've got this on DVD, I'm so mm. lazy, I can't be bothered to get it out of the cupboard. So I subscribed <laughs> to BritBox in order to, to watch it again. <laughs> And First been... world problems, right there. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> While I've been working, I've been having Tom Baker dots who from the from his first story just playing in the in the corner of my screen. You're mm. right. I I found I find classic Doctor Who. If I'm sitting there watching it episode mm. after episode, it's like God, this is this is so drawn out, and like yeah. there'd be like whole episodes which are like complete filler i find it much better when i'm like paying half attention to it and i can just stop and look at the bits when they get interesting mm. and just to have the rest of it sort of go over me you're right we've got to remember these things were meant to be watched episodically not just to, to binge watch all in one go yeah and for me it's much more it's just gives the stories room to breathe and that's mm. what i hate about modern tv is that Particularly if we're talking particularly about Doctor Who, uh, uh, you know, a 40, 45 minute, 50 minute episode is just so jam packed with stuff happening that that characters and whole kind of store character arcs within episodes become nonsensical. And, and there was one episode in Jodie Whittaker's run in the last season which I can't remember the name of because obviously I can't remember hardly anything about it. But <laughs> There was a girl whose friends died at the start of the episode. And then obviously at the end of the episode, which is, you know, a day later or something, she's just going off with some other people and she's totally forgotten the fact that her friends died yeah. 40 minutes ago in the episode, which I just, ugh, I really, re that's something I really, really dislike about modern Doctor Who is, is the one episode, kind of Star Trek Next Generation format, mm. which... Star Trek used to do quite well, but I do find Doctor Who just like just too much in it happens in an episode now. Yeah. And there's no there's no tension or kind of Well, you know it's gonna be resolved at horror by the end. Yeah. or yeah. Within forty minutes this is all gonna be you know, they're gonna be off in the TARDIS again having a nice time mm. and, and, and this, you know, obviously with this as well, what you have with Sapphire and Steel in this particular story is the brilliant at least two brilliant cliffhangers. Which I absolutely love. Well, so, should we go um, through the story then? The first note I've written is music is bombastic, but it does also, again, fit the the title scans to the melody, which is always my test. Go on then. So that's it. a good. Um, I can't remember. So, uh, and slow, so, yeah, something like that. I, yeah. I, I just find it incredible how many uh, 
how many TV programs try to do the Star Wars crawl? <laughs> I just fa- time. fail. Yeah, fail yeah. dismally, don't they? Well, they did it with blue screen with some letter set on a, on a piece of paper, didn't they? <laughs> Moving along. It's just it's not um, designed for forty two inch television screens, is it? No, no. So the first thing that I um, found interesting is that they basically just kind of pop up out of nowhere in this um, junk shop. They've seen Joanna Lumley has seen these weird kind of ghostly children, and then they're in the back of this um, shop having a look around the kind of storeroom area, I think, or something like that. So, first of all, it's a lost property sh- shop. I feel like these only exist in this and Bagpuss. <laughs> From my my little exposure to Sapphire City, it feels that what happens is if old things are brought into the present, that can yeah. allow time to break yes. through so i think oh. that's what what's what's going on in this space uh, they've had a report of time breaking through in this in this building so that, that's why they've been summoned there to try and fix that and this this is an idea which i uh, which i really liked straight away so they talk about these trigger items which i thought was really interesting because I'm a big fan of Ghost Adventures with Zach Bagans on, um, <laughs> I forget which channel it's on now, uh, 128 on Virgin, whichever one that is. It really, it might be on really. So Zach really? Bagans. Is that really with a question mark? Or... <laughs> uh, it might really? be, or it might be, might be an exclamation yeah. mark. Really? So Zach Bagans is the, you know, the ghost supremo, ghost, ghost hunt supremo. They talk a lot about these kind of trigger items. They'll bring an item into a location to try and trigger the ghost interaction. <laughs> and, and that's an idea that I really enjoy. So if it's like, you know, if it's, if it's American Civil War, Zach Bagans <laughs> will dress up in like a, a, an American Civil War outfit and then walk around in a field. Yeah. And then, or maybe lie down on the floor and pre- pretend to be dead in in the Battle of Gettysburg or something, and and that will obviously bring the ghost back because yeah, obvious, you know, obvious. Uh, so that's something that I found very interesting. That this is something that's mes- mentioned in this context, mm. like forty years ago, which I thought was quite interesting. Something which I forced my wife to watch three stories of Sapphire and Steel now, <laughs> and one of the things which um, oh, she gets man. quite irate about is love and marriage. Is the way. Um, <laughs> It's the character of Steel. She, the way he just like he's stomp, a bully. He, he stomps around. He's a bully. Bullying yeah. people. She's going. To, she, she, she was going. I know then, but to be like aliens or intermental elements, elements or something. Form. Yeah. And they're not human. Yes, but I just can't stand the way he just stomps around and get it back. Get it back. <laughs> get it back. As he shouts for about ten minutes in one episode. I actually found that really interesting, and I thought, oh, you've got a lead character that is not just. Uh, uh, you know, a, sh- a schmoozing kind of handsome Cary Grant figure. It's mm. someone who's a Deadly. bit kind of irritable and kind of mm. a bit first doctorish. You know, that's kind of yeah. Because things these days are written so kind of bloody. Uh... Got to be likable, aren't they? Oh, everyone's mm. got to be likable, and and life isn't like that. And obviously, mm. they're meant to be these kind of weird, kind of out of time characters that are, are they aliens? Are they, you know, whatever, whatever they are. Well, I think it's quite brave for Saffron still to go through all of the, I think they did Ooh. five or six um, assignments and it's never made clear who the fuck they are. Fuck they are. Yeah. 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 That's great. It says, so they were, they're trying to find what, what the trigger item is, which is causing this breakthrough in time. But they decided it's not any of the objects which are in the, the storeroom. Mm. Well, I've written down time break. I can't really remember what that means, but I quite mm. liked the idea. And then I've written down xylophone oboe music is very hammer. 
Yes. So the, the the incidental music at this point is really hammer. It's like on a xylophone, and then on an oboe, which <laughs> is my kind of music. Then every so often they play like a words and pictures sort of. Well, so, I was going to say yeah, that was that so undercut. That that's exactly. It. Ross, that undercut any kind of dramatic tension for me was that every time anything a bit supernatural happened, there was the rising tone of ring, which is exactly the same musical thing they used in the BBC's Rent-A-Ghost whenever anyone was doing any form of magic at all. Maybe making pantomime horse Dobbin suddenly di- disappear and then appear in Christopher Biggins' department store. Who knows? But, you know, I was just like, ring. Oh, blimey, here we go again. Yeah. So they're obviously telepathic. They talk to each other by the medium of te- telepathy. telepathy. Yes. As Joan Alumni would keep going, yes. Yes. Oh, but yeah. I must, I've put peak Jezza Lumley. Yeah. I, I, she was absolutely at her peak here. She's fantastic. And the way she speaks, it's just she's got the best voice in the universe. Kept saying, oh, she's so glamorous, isn't she? And Beck's going, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I'm no no fan of Joanna Lumley, really, mm. but in mm. this she did look brilliant. Yeah, she did. I did notice that her hair style varied wildly from scene to scene. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, like a purdy cut, New Adventures purdy cut, and very straightened. It goes into the next scene and it looks almost permed. So it's um the continuity isn't great. But then one bit that I really enjoyed then was was this bit where they're in amongst all these umbrellas mm. um, and they hear this, these kind of crow sound effects. And then but then it's kind of spoilt by some really horrible video effects where they're kind of beamed into to um, pictures, photos. <laughs> when she's been attacked by the umbrellas, I said to Beck, the thing is with special effects, you never want to look at it and think, I know exactly how they're doing that. But I liked that idea. I thought a commonplace thing, finding something sinister in a commonplace thing is something that I always enjoy. And that's something that Stephen Moffat did quite often with Doctor Who. And then I think he reused that idea too many times where it was shadows are evil. Statues. Statues are evil. But then after that, it, sleep dust. Yeah, after that, it all became a bit like, oh, what can we, you know, what's a commonplace thing we can turn evil? Where, whereas umbrellas, like when they're all when they're pointing at you, it's like actually, like these are a bit weird. I thought it was very brave of Sapphire and Steel to use the umbrella as a potential threat, not once but twice. Yeah, and in yeah. one of the later episodes, it's held yeah. against Joanna Lumley's eye, eye, which was I again, I find quite threatening. Um, we keep seeing these anachronistic children playing out in the backyard and they're singing a, like a nursery, nursery rhyme, rhyme, aren't they? Yeah. And a nursery rhyme was used in the first assignment, I believe, as that was what the trigger was, that someone was using an old oh. uh, nursery rhyme in the modern day and that's what brought things through. Right? Yes. Yeah, so, but nursery rhymes are always creepy, especially when creepy children are chanting them. All these kind of ideas, I want to say before we get into the the meat and drink of this story, is that this very Nigel Neal, who was obviously the writer of Quatermass, like these mm. kind of the idea that that there's something sinister within, again the commonplace nursery rhymes, the history of places, sense of place, all those ideas are very Nigel Neal, and they mm. and I've got to say they are the kind of ideas that I absolutely love in a mm. in a. In a sci-fi or a horror, and mm. if it's anything like that, I'm in. I'm in, I'm much more in. I think it's a very British way of doing horror. I'm much more in than 
if it's um even though i enjoy enjoy you know sci-fi which is star trek or star wars i think this is a very very different kind of way of of exploring ideas and themes do you think i was right in, in bringing this into a horror podcast because so many people call this science fiction where i feel like there's no science in it whatsoever well, the science in it is codswallop yeah isn't it's it? just spooky. yes <laughs> yes the science is utterly codswallop including and you know once again we're jumping around a little bit but you know that that, that doesn't hurt the introduction they give you at the start of, of every episode and oh, I've, yeah. got, I've got i've got a transcript of it the here booming voice all irregularities will be handled by the forces controlling each dimension. Uh, Transuranic heavy elements may not be used where there is life. Medium <laughs> atomic weights are available. Gold. Fine, that's on the atomic table. Lead. Fine, also on the atomic table. Jet. What the was jet? <laughs> Every time they said it, I was like, well, jet. Being a East Yorkshire boy, yeah, uh, or North Yorkshire, whatever the hell bloody regional authority it is now because whenever i see this on twitter some jumped up idiot will message me and say actually filey is east yorkshire not north yorkshire or the other way around jet is something a bit like coal but i think it's potentially a bit harder than coal and i think it's found under the sea and it was used a lot for um victorian morning jewelry as in well when someone has died well, thank you, John. You know, every day's a school day. Thank you. Because when yeah. they said it, I was like, what's that? It's, what's where, that? You know, it's, it's not an element, where, though. It's not, no, an element. it's not an element. It's where Jet Black comes from, as in Jet. Ah, so it's not, interesting. It's not a jet interesting. All right. Okay, cool. Thank you. Or Jet the Gladiator. Or Jet Shame. I've put down, though, that for me, and I think you guys have said this, that the pacing was glacial. <laughs> it's real and for me that was the most interesting thing watching it in the, the three and a half decades since this has been on mm. how much television has changed yeah and there were two moments where i thought my god tv has really really changed number one in the pacing of, of just the show per se and just kind of like there's no there was no real rush to kind of like get the information across or anything like that mm. nor was there a ticking clock in the narrative at all either there was no like we need to get this no, done no, by this to buy, no 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 and then also later on in the final episode so this is the dramatic denouement sapphire and still find themselves trapped in a photo yeah. and bearing in mind this show went out primetime tv a large chunk of the final episode it's just a picture of a photograph, <laughs> and the and the camera just shifting left to right, indicating who's talking. I thought Amazing. they wouldn't do this now. <laughs> this really wouldn't happen. And yes. when when we find out that you know the nemesis of the show is someone who can move through any photograph in the world, Joanna Lumley goes, "Can we follow him?" And I've just written, "Not on this show's budget." <laughs> No, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. But I thought now, if, if you were making it now, that's exactly what would happen. Yes. And it'd be far more cool and like like diving through different dimensions of pictures and all the, all the rest of it. Whereas now it's like, no, we just have to hold up the same four pictures over and over again. <laughs> they hear some music upstairs, uh, some modern music upstairs. So they go up oh, and they meet the... It's uh, quite tawdry, the music, I yeah. thought. Yes. It's a bit like... Um, sec- uh, porn film music, wasn't it? Well, my notes it just says porno pivot. The ep- the episode <laughs> suddenly goes on a porno pivot because they go in and, s- and who do they meet? Ross. They meet um, the last remaining tenant of the, of the house, which is a young girl who's getting ready to go out to work at a, a, to a, work at a, a club. club. 
club in a club inverted inverted Beck, we kept saying is this a prostitute is she a prostitute i thought she was yeah my I, immediate thought, thought was. was she was and when i've been reading i don't think i've been reading online they describe her as a prostitute uh, ah. i thought she was just a stripper or something well well yeah i just thought uh, not of it. just a stripper you know i don't want to come across as misogynistic <laughs> here against sex workers but but I don't think she's necessarily written as a prostitute. I think it's heavily implied that's what she, she potentially is. So she's saying flatmates gone missing for quite a long period of time, who was mm, her yeah. only friend. Mm. The landlord's gone missing, who was a kindly old gent, kindly old gentleman. Mm. But there's a new there's a new landlord who leaves her alone. All he, she has to do is leave her rent money, and that's yeah. that's fine. When Which she's is nice. when she's hev- yeah. heavily um, interrogated by Steele. Who pretty yeah. much like shouts in her face? <laughs> yeah, which I quite enjoyed. Again, I was like, "Oh God!" Like he's he's again. It's not like sugarcoating it. He's quite aggressive with this person he's never met before. Which I was like, whenever I watch anything old like this, I just think that the way that they go about the story con- construction is much more brave than television now. What I have written is that the dialogue and and actually the whole staging of it is much more like a radio play or just a play. Yes. Yes. So it's like one set, isn't it? Yeah. It's, 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 it's one. one it's set. one studio. One studio yeah, which, set, which is brilliant, and I really mm. enjoy that kind of thing where where it's not flashbang wallop to kind of draw you in well, it's, it's all actually... in it's all in the one building isn't it yeah um, so there's but there's still more sets than there were in the frankenstein film we covered um... <laughs> yeah so it's it's all about character mm. writing a bit a bit of production design because the sets are really good actually the the woman who plays liz i i thought oh hang on i recognize liz <laughs> but beck yeah. looked her up as well yeah she was Sarah what what Sutton. she mean she was Sarah Sugden in Emmerdale for a very long time. So it, she's been in pretty does, much every soap, I think. Yeah. Does, does, that mean any, does that mean anything to you, James? No, sorry. To be honest, I haven't watched Emmerdale for 25 years. So she was. Is <laughs> Mandy Dingle it. still in it? <laughs> <laughs> but she was good. I thought she was good. She started off really badly, and I think she kind of warmed up with the role as she went along. Well, her, her accent was terrible, and it was really like, "Oh, this is a Cockney accent," and or oh, oh, this is London accent," and it was just very lazy. I thought. Whereas, as it went along, the more she had to do, and the kind of more you know emotional range she had to show, it actually her performance it, it improved at that. So, point. so it occurred to her that she'd that she couldn't remember what the face of the new landlord looked like the more that they, was good the more they pushed and I thought that, that was that's good. a really creepy idea mm. that when yes pushes you to say well what does that person look like is that i've got um, i can't yeah. remember why can't, can't why can't i remember yeah. why hasn't it occurred to me that i don't know what they look like that was that was that was pretty good i think the children ask if they can hurt the people which i thought was quite quite creepy um and you've seen at this point the landlord only from the neck down and then he opens the door and then you you have the reveal that he has no face, which was that. I think that is the thing which has been stuck in my mind ever since I was a kid. That that scene there. Ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Brilliant cliffhanger. I thought that was a fantastic cliffhanger. And you don't have enough, you know, you talk about duff duff moments that everyone goes on about that crap on EastEnders these days. Yeah, but they have a faceless man. Yeah, <laughs> if EastEnders finished on a faceless man coming into one of the, you know, Ian Beale's bedroom, um, I would just, I'd actually watch it, uh, EastEnders. But, um, well, we will take a and Ross, feel free to edit this out. But even my, I thought the other day I might actually start watching EastEnders because apparently the plot is Sharon Watts wants to kill Ian Beale and yeah. she's going to kill him via sex. <laughs> she's going to shag it. I was like, they're also now married. No, yeah, they got married. <laughs> they got married while he was on his deathbed, but I think they had got married after she had tried to kill him. Kill him. Via sex. No, I think think she hit him over the head at first. Basically, Ian (laughs) Beale let her son drown when EastEnders did a thing recently where a ferry uh, sank in the Thames. Yes, I remember reading about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Oh, um, man. High camp, as usual. Okay, right, fine. Okay, thank you. Right, so so back to Sapphire and Steel. So then we have the next episode. So the first... the first half of the second episode is basically recap. Recap the of end of the first episode. <laughs> I have written obvious multicam setup with vision mixing, and I think this is the point where, to me, it really made sense. And I could see in an uh, there's a bit where they talk over each other, and they obviously rather than edit it out, they just went with that take and said that take is fine, and that means that what they're doing is filming with. Uh, two or three cameras, the set, 
the the actors have to hit their marks on the floor and and do all the stuff and then the what you think is an edit is actually the vision mixer going between the three cameras mm-hmm. to give that kind of it's not what's called a one camera kind of drama it's like a multicam setup and i think that's where you get this kind of really kind of lo-fi quite claustrophobic like a, a theater kind of feel to it which i found really really engaging i i think for modern audiences they would look at this and they'd run a mile but i think it's something that really appeals to me where you're actually know you're watching actors acting and kind of interacting rather than just watch actors deliver a line to a camera or just do something for a take mm-hmm. the actual take is might be three or four minutes where they have to do quite a lot i think this is where the guy is uh starts coming up the stairs yes uh and then he disappears but then Ring! sapphire can can make time go backwards she's trying to make this guy reappear on the stairs so they can see what he looks like yes um again steel is just Bellowing, just shouting at her bellowing at her to bring make, it back make it bring happen. it back and she's having trouble doing it but for me that was one of the few parts in it which i felt was actually quite spooky the, the sound yeah the lo-fi effects at that point were just were kind yeah. of like i said to beck sorry listeners i keep referring to my my wife when i'm doing the this good lady wife yeah, so um, but this is someone i watch television with i said either mm. television from this sort of period has got an uncanny semblance to what my nightmares are are actually like <laughs> or my nightmares have been progr- been shaped, have been shaped yeah. by watching television at this sort of period when i was very impressionable yeah, yes that's so, interesting. so what that looked like and what that sounded like is the kind of things i wake up from oh and the setting as well like the, the dingy kind of stairs that type of stairways is, is constantly recurring in my, my oh, dream. i, I the, love ooh. i'd love to live in a house that looked like that. i found that quite unnerving even yeah. though this was a really cheap old television program, I don't think it was cheap. I think it just looks cheap now because no. production values now are so. Like, but that made me feel a little bit like, "Oh, this, I'm probably going to relive that at some point." I thought that sequence was really, really good, and I thought it worked really well because there was again, there's this kind of mix between the video effect of the man on the stairs being this vision mixing thing where they put this ripple mm. effect over him, but then there's this bit where um, David McCallum is holding a photographic print. And that starts glowing with heat. Mm-hmm. That's he right. He's it. surprised by hot paper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is um, the, f- the front projection reflective stuff, which I can't remember the name. I think it's called Mylar or something like that. And you shine a light at it and it will direct, it will reflect directly back into the camera lens, making stuff look very, very hot or reflective. So if you remember, guys, the, the cover of Slade in Flame. <laughs> and who doesn't? <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> all of Slade has stood there in very, very reflective clothes for the brilliant film Slade. And but actually, is the film called, just called Flame, or is it called Slade, Slade in in Flame? flame. There was also um, a kid, do you remember that advert for about get yourself seen? Seen? Yeah. <laughs> there was a kid Absolutely. who had like a silver suit, which oh, I, yes. I really, really wanted when I was uh, growing up. <laughs> I think it's. A, same kind of stuff. To so that's like sure a theatrical that your effect. Yeah. can be seen yeah. late at Use night. Use some tape, tape if, if, if you, you like, like. Yeah. and get yourself seen. I'm sorry. <laughs> Get yourself. 
Get yourself clean. That's what haunts my dreams. <laughs> no, I was going to say, rather than kind of spelling out all four episodes for our dear listeners, I think we can just kind of cut to the chase with it all, really. Which is, a malignant force has somehow, from, uh, they, they explain at some point, from the birth of photography, has managed to get into the first ever ca- first ever picture, and then yeah. from then has had the ability to leap from every picture that's ever been taken. But can't the, escape out of. But the can't pictures. escape. But the old man who of the building has been doing photography experiments. More on that in a second, John. For you, they, they, you know, it's what I want to know about the, the science behind this. Yeah, yeah. And that has released this malignant force, and he has made the old man disappear. Um, Liz Dupre, the is she a prostitute? Does she work in a nightclub, lady? Her friend, that she's made, he's made her disappear as well, and he has yeah. brought the children through from yes. a, from a Victorian photo to yes. the present day. There you go. Well done. Did you understand you. why he was bringing the children through? No, nah. not at all. That was the nah. one question for me. My understanding was he was captured by the first photograph. Yeah, like a genie oh. in a bottle. So basically. Before that, he was just around, and then the act of the photograph happening captured him somehow. He can be in any photograph, and it's it's always got someone who's looking the other way. Yeah. Yes. What I thought was that, does that mean that he's always in the background of things like reader's wives' pictures? (laughs) (laughs) That was my honest, immediate thought. (laughs) <laughs> or any dodgy Polaroids. It's like, and then, and then, and then, it was, and then I was thinking, oh, how are they going to get that? They were like, in the picture, he might be outside or behind the wall. I was like, oh. <laughs> but then with that, they did introduce an, an idea, which again, I thought was really, really good. He said, every picture is a picture of infinity. I loved that. Which I, that well. was good, wasn't it? I thought I liked that as well. The picture isn't just a flat plane in front of you. He talks about what's behind, yeah. what's in the picture, what's yeah. behind the wall and all that. So that part of it I like and, that. and aspects of this really reminded me of the uh, Mezzotint by M.R. James, which is about a, a kind of engraving where it's sent to a guy who's in Cambridge University, I think. Uh, I might be totally wrong and shut down in flames by M.R. James fans for that. But so he sent this early Victorian print uh, of a house. He thinks the print is very boring. Uh, puts it on his desk, forgets about it. Then comes back later in the day, shows it to another friend, and the friend says, "Ah, um, uh, yes, I remember this. I, I actually think this is quite a good engraving. Like the figure in it is is really good." And the guy's like, "I don't remember a figure, but at that point doesn't look at it." And then I think later on, he's kind of flunky. Who comes, you know, to kind of sweep and dust and do stuff for him? They come back to his flat and they they find that um, this guy is kind of zapped out in his chair because there is this horrific figure in the mezzotint that's crawling towards the house. Mm. And then they go through the process of looking at this this print every so often to see that this figure crawls into the house and then steals a baby out of the house and then disappears. Uh, and Ooh. I think that, that this, you know, this kind of idea of the, of something within the picture, yeah. living and kind of moving and, and jumping in and out, it, it's, it's not a direct kind of 
plagiarism, but I think it's that kind of that I kind think of the original. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the, one of the ideas I thought was great in this. Mm. Um, there was a point when they confront the 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 new landlord, and mm. we, they realise that Saffron and Steel are both seeing a different man. And I yeah, thought that's that was cool. A, I thought that, that was, was a really nice. cool yeah. idea. One yeah. was seeing a young man, which was the the the, the son of That's My Boy, which was like yeah. a, <laughs> a, a sitcom where a, a guy's got two mums for some reason. I can't remember why. Uh, and um and, and an older man. But I yeah. thought, but that's um I thought that was a really good idea and not Again, something I've really, seen before. I've got to say that in this in these four episodes there was more exciting new kind of uh, relevant ideas to me than in the entirety of um chris chibnall's run of doctor who so far wow <laughs> they are rummaging through all the the stuff upstairs trying to work out how did he bring this guy out of pictures they find a a strange uh, camera lens which is like triangle mm. on yeah. <laughs> they find a picture which has got the girl who's gone missing the yeah. flatmate in a in a window, Ruth, uh, yeah, and sets up with a telescope and all this kind of stuff, and it in order to zoom in on it, and Ruth, I just, yeah, stuff so I can put a hand over and say there's someone missing out of this picture, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was thinking that all of those pictures which they had to show a person in and a person removed, they couldn't mm. have done any of that on Photoshop. All of that, no, would have, no. Would have, I was going to say that that Photoshop has destroyed this. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah, retouching, proper retouching with an airbrush, probably at that point, and, and very fine little one hair brushes touch people down. I I know, I know unfortunately, this is the limitation of uh, the podcast and it just being uh, audio, but I'm really really sad that when you did finally see Ruth in the uh, the, the window of the one picture, she wasn't going. <laughs> like that you know like it like tra- help i'm trapped face she was so just James like very doing like a kind of uh french mime artists uh who used to do that on tv where they'd go along Mar- well Is kenny, kenny everett? everett being yeah. marcel Marseille. <laughs> i'm thinking of kenny everett so that sequence leads yeah. to another cliffhanger and a really horrific brutal ending for ruth in that the baddie sets fire to the photo with a in and you hear a burn to death death which is terrifying it's really terrifying in many ways though i think it was a release because i've written and in red ink ruth is bloody dreary yeah when they, when they talk to her the idea is yeah. that obviously you know that when you're trapped in a photo they say it is yeah. like daydreaming yeah it's like being asleep you know like that. but how they conveyed this was just by her talking like this i don't know really um, and again it was just a close-up on a bloody um just of a, of a photo there's also lots of people sitting around listening to that and i thought that was quite creepy that people also, you're just watching people listening to a voice yeah. and, I, and i know that sounds crap but yeah. it, it, it was quite creepy for me well, i find i did find it immensely creepy yeah 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 because it's it's if you can maintain an atmosphere with the bare minimum of stuff, mm. which is literally a photo and some people looking at a photo, you're doing quite a good job. You know, these days it would be massive pumping music, people screaming, like to digress slightly. I remember where the BBC redid Terry Nation's Survivors. Mm-hmm. Yes. In the noughties. I can't remember when in the noughties now. And some TV documentary compared the start of that the original, which I think was like 1974, 1975, something like that, to the start of the the reboot. So the original, when the woman wakes up and finds that Peter Bowles is dead, 
Her mm. husband is Peter Bowles. He's dead. She goes outside, and then it's like a crane shot looking down on her. And then they compare it to the uh, 2005 version or whatever it was. It's a totally different thing. Massive crash zoom on her face. She's screaming. Like, the music is like, da, 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 da. Whereas the original one, it's just like this woman going outside, and it's totally silent. It's, yeah. And the, the impact, when she realises she's in a dead world... Silence is more effective. Yeah, yeah. the key part of it is silence, because you're watching a bloody visual thing, so you don't need this constant, like... They find some pictures where the mm. landlord of the house has been putting old pictures and new pictures together, mm. and they said that is what released, what did it. released him. Not only that, it was also him building a giant kaleidoscope machine. Which yeah. is so he can recreate the title sequence of Strictly Come Dancing in his own. <laughs> <laughs> so, but apparently, this is what he was doing to impress the young and girl. girl. Yeah, all girls are impressed by photographic techniques, aren't they, John? Well, yeah, what they love is a is a, a like a slide sandwich put through a kaleidoscope. Everyone loves that. <laughs> um, I've written for around this part, pulp, different class cover. Yeah. So there's a part <laughs> where Joanna Lumley is turned into a stand-in from Pulp's different class cover. Class right? cover. She's just a black and white cutout, which was a really good effect. Oh, but yeah. So did we have a bit previous to that where one of the the children gets, gets yes, hugged, was cuddled? Got, that that made me laugh dust. out. That I thought that was funny. <laughs> I laughed because you could see it coming from uh, from the, one of the children turned into yeah a a, into a, a, a cardboard a figure. I, I did really, really enjoy that. But also what was weird is that the kids at some points looked normal, but at the other points they looked like they'd been kind of painted a kind of sepia colour. Yeah, well, they were saying yes. they, they went to look and smell like photographs, photographs. And, oh, yes. and chemicals and all that kind of stuff. So it's they? not the actual children that are coming out of the photos. It's like these weird shades of of them. The yeah. the images, which again is a, another terrifying idea, which is this is so much material in in these four episodes uh, that it really blew me away. Actually, they then decide that they're going to try and capture this mm. this creature, this no faced man. They kind of reverse engineer the idea that the man has been doing these experiments. They reverse engineer his machine. And this is the point where it slightly lost me, but it's still so charming that you kind of forgive it. And it's like as if putting a camera down a kaleidoscope and taking a picture of a slide is going to release this ancient evil. That isn't really (laughs) like, you know, I can believe if you go into a pyramid and you open a tomb like you that's more of a kind of uh you know, that's that's more likely to release evil than just taking a photo of a slide in a box. And so they do that, but then in the process, they somehow become turned into a photograph themselves, don't they? Mm. Yes. Which I can't really remember how that happened. But it's a good sequence, and the photo, I thought, looked like a really cool kind of new romantics piece yeah. sleeve. Very early 80s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's very, all of this is very know, early course, 80s, yeah. isn't it? And then they're kind of trying to telepathically reach out to Liz aren't they to get her to come and kind of help them and my notes are Liz Dupre in inverted commas does not give a shit and I've underlined it at various (laughs) times they're like but don't you want to know what happened to your friend not particularly she says not really but she's been missing well I'm sure she'll turn up bye and I was like cold blooded she really doesn't care at all 
<laughs> she comes back in and then they have this kind of not very effective sequence where <laughs> they manage to trap him by surrounding him by mirrors so that he, yes. all he can see is himself then they find a toy kaleidoscope which they put, yeah. put him into that yeah. and then they say that they're going to go and take him and put it on a ship which is about to um, sink. sink in yeah. the That's right, because because in many ways as well joanna lumley is like a living wikipedia isn't she yeah she uh she like every now and then she'll just go oh yes the first photograph and then just spews out facts about that yeah or yes on this date you know she'll, she'll just yeah. tell you tell you everything you need to know and say yeah so she just says this boat is going to sink we're going to go and put it on it yeah and we'll worry about this in 80 years time yeah which is so you never see, I, I don't know, Cleese, do you ever see how they move around through time or they just... Certain points where they they say they've been waiting for like, you know, 80, 90 years for this yeah. thing to happen. So yeah. um, it's it's a case of like either time passes different, differently for them or they, they travel through time. It's not they're extra dimensional, aren't exactly. they? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but there's a, there was a point at the beginning where he's saying that uh, someone should have been here waiting for this to happen. Yes. Um, rather than coming when it's after after it's happened yeah and yeah. Uh, and it's always them who have to come and mop this sort of stuff up well that's a, that's a a good get out clause for the show happening isn't it mm. because if there was someone there waiting to stop stuff obviously you wouldn't be able to write the story because the story would never happen which makes which is good writing and there are other stories where you you meet uh, some of the other elements as well like oh, lead and things like right. that. Yeah, so that's oh i might want to watch some more of this i thought that from this watch the kind of mystery element of the two characters really did remind me of early doctor who and i think that's something that doctor who sadly has lost now which is like this thing of you don't know where the all you know about the doctor is he's called the doctor he's with his granddaughter susan and he's in the tardis and they travel through time and for ages, that's all you know. And I think that's that's all you really need to know, actually, because then you can get straight into the adventures. Um, well, and that's what works so well here is because the two leads are very, very engaging. So with no consultation, we don't talk to each other you know, ahead of time. What I wrote was, mm. like Doctor Who, written by <laughs> Beckett. <laughs> right? And I'll tell you why. Because you said it's a, it's a high concept idea, yeah. but... One set or one studio <laughs> set, and at times the dialogue was, like you said, almost kind of like Beckett or like yeah. Tom Stoppard. Yeah. For example, an interchange between the two characters that went like this It's the photograph. The photograph? Yes, the photograph. The photograph? Yes, the one I'm looking <laughs> at it right now. But it is, is it the same photograph. It looks the same. It is the photograph. The photograph? Yes. Do you know what I mean? And there were three or four instances like that. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is just kind of very... And again, the sort of writing that you don't get on TV anymore. Things like that were on TV at that point, weren't oh, yeah. they? That's, yeah, you know, yeah. BBC Two would have had those Something kind of like plays that, yeah. on mm. on a Saturday sure. night. You wouldn't have had bloody Paul Whitehouse and Bob Mortimer going bloody fishing. You, have, <laughs> you would have had some high culture. And, and TV... TV really can't do high culture anymore mm. very well, I don't think. I think it does it in a different way. Do you know what I mean? It does like it the long form. Yeah. Because in one of my sort of concluding remarks on this was, I'd love to see this kind of rebooted, rebooted, and redone. I'd really properly. like to see it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was one of the things I, I was going to ask you. If if they were going to redo this, who would you cast oh, as Saffron and Steel? In Big Finish, it's David Warner as Steel. Yeah. And I can't remember who the lady is. Who's, who's I didn't who's... know the ladies. No. Bella Emberg. <laughs> <laughs> and Russ Abbott. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> 
Rufus Sewell. Did you see the pale uh, horse? The Agatha Christie's pale yes, horse? Yes. Really, really good. Kind of folk horror turns into murder mystery type thing. I think yes. it was on earlier last year. That's I right. think he'd be really good in this. He's a handsome guy and I think but yeah. I think he's got this kind of aloof quality. British kind of, you know, weird quality. He was also the lead Nazi in the uh, the Amazon version oh, yeah. of Man, Man in the High Castle. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got yeah. Sophia Miles in my mind for Sapphire. Who's that? She was Madame de Pompadour in um, The Girl in the Fireplace. Oh, Cleaver, she's got no career. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't been on TV for like 15 years. Uh, Figure someone younger, Cleaves. Uh, well, it's got to be younger. Uh, Holly, Holly Willoughby? <laughs> yeah, Holly Willoughby. <laughs> The first dramatic, yeah. <laughs> so these are just basically the women you fancy, Cleves, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that my other thing, my other takeaway from this and my sort of rap when I was thinking about it was it touched on a couple of really lovely themes, which I think do work in horror, which is number one, and you've mentioned it already, the falseness of memory and mm-hmm. how memory can trick you. I thought that's really, really great. Yeah. And also the notion of photography and old photos. There is something really spooky about old pictures. Love and Ross, do you, remember, do you remember when we went to see um, Ghost Stories? Mm-hmm. Yes. And we were lucky enough afterwards, the brilliant Andy Nyman, who's the co-writer of, of the play, came out and was talking to us. He was top, top man. He was brilliant. And he was saying to my sister, there is because the play starts off with an old black and white photograph blown mm, up that's right. and, it, it, and at the time I remember thinking oh shit this is going to be terrifying yeah. and he's and we were saying and he confirmed this he said there is something inherently creepy about old photographs always yeah yeah. and I thought yeah and so yeah. for me it was a uh, it dated badly like I mean, a lot of the things we've looked at so far have yeah. but I could see that within it there are some really nice ideas, which yeah, are brilliant ideas. horror tropes. It said like yeah. the folk, you know, the falseness and the, you know, how memory can let you down. Mm. And like he said, that whole sequence when she was like, I, I can't remember what he looks like. Mm. I thought that was, that was brilliant. That was, that was really good. And I do mm. think you could do an even better story based on not with better technology or anything like that, but kind of like pictures jarring you and reminding you of something that you've forgotten about mm. is, is really, really good. Mm. Yeah, so I, anyway, so I I think you could cool. do something really good with uh, with people realizing that they they they're all seeing the same person differently, and that that's mm. a good like, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to work out why that's the it's case. a really good idea. I made a note about halfway through that uh, Joanna Lumley's performance really reminded me of Barbara Shelley's performance in Quatermass and the Pit. Ooh. I'm not sure if either of you have seen it. Um, no. She's very icy. I've seen the she's... TV series. TV oh my version. god, the TV version is. Oh, which TV version now? Crazy Master of the Pit is where they find the spaceship under. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, about... I've seen the TV, the black and white original version of it, not the. Film. So, so this isn't that. So this is the Color Hammer film that they made in 1967. She's this very icy scientist who then turns out that she is the conduit for the Martians. Mm-hmm. In the same way that that obviously Joanna Lumley in this was like the conduit for the kind of going back in time and stuff. And I thought the two performances are very similar, kind of quite, quite you could say that it, it, it helps someone with a kind of lack of range, but also they're, they're perfect for the, the part that they're playing. And I thought Joanna Lumley was amazing in this, actually. I remember another bit I really liked in this is when they, they established that 
Saffron still can talk telepathically. And mm. then there's a point when they're talking telepathically and then the, the other guy breaks in and yes. says, I can talk like that if you want me to. And, yeah. and that, and it put the, and it made you feel like, oh, actually they've come up against someone who's got unexpected power. They, and is this someone yeah. who's yeah. could actually be a, a match for them? That, that was, that was good. Yes. Very good indeed. I think John's um, said he would recommend this. I would recommend this a hundred percent. I'm just seeing if I've got any more notes. I, came into it after being on the phone to the tax people for an hour and that was not just talking to the tax people that was sitting listening to a recorded message saying that they were they would get to me eventually so i wasn't really looking forward to it and it was really like tipping a nice refreshing uh kind of drink through my brain nice. and making me think about good ideas and and just really interesting stuff actually and i would probably watch the rest of of all of it now fantastic i thought it was that good so yeah i i would give it five out of five i wow. there's obviously shortcomings in some of the story and stuff but i think the kind of charm of it and the i think that they know that the material they're working with is slightly dodgy but they play it totally straight and with really great gusto and i and, and that's something that i really admire and i and i thought it was brilliant i find that these are not as good as my memory of them are but <laughs> talking through it with people afterwards and yeah. and in our house we've talked about it after the fact um yeah. i think that the 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 content and the ideas behind it are are high enough to sort of mm. push through maybe some of the uh shortcomings the shortcomings from the it being a dated piece of television and it's always yeah yeah, yeah so yeah, i would yeah. give it a free i think i'd give it a free so you've given it less of a score than the rats. No, I give the rats three, didn't I? Oh, hang on. We haven't done the rats yet. No, we haven't. Okay. <laughs> that, that, this, that's very Sapphire and Steel. Yeah. In the future, when we do the rats, <laughs> when time slips through, Ross might... Well, what might give for us? Okay, in which case, I'm going to give it a 3.5 because I've got a feeling I might give the rats a 3.5 in the you future. Did. You did. You gave the rats. Oh, I will. You, you will give the rats 3.5, yeah. Uh, okay, James, how about you? Would you recommend um, it? This... This is once again, you know, as I don't want to make it so that we, we're too similar all the time. But I, as with Dracula AD nineteen seventy two, I would agree with Ross's assessment, and I'd say that I found that at times that the pacing was glacial and you know very much of another time. And I won't lie, after a day's online Zoom teaching, watching oh, an episode, God. I did almost feel myself nod off <laughs> um, at one point during the first episode and also i thought you know it was limited and it said some of the science was very very wonky behind it yeah. um but that said as we said the the uh the ambition of it the yeah. themes and ideas i if somebody said if i read tomorrow they're rebooting or they're redoing sapphire and steel and you know, it's going to be like edgier science fiction edgier yeah. horror tropes and ideas bang, I'd be absolutely on board with it. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed having my first experience of it. I don't feel like you guys do, like the mad desire to watch more of them, but it was a, it was a very interesting watching experience, so it's a three from me. Oh, excellent. Brilliant. I think if I read next week that Russell T. Davis was bringing this back in an expanded Sapphire and Steel universe, I would be absolutely over the moon because <laughs> I think that's the kind of thing that would just be brilliant to see on TV. There's so little stuff like this on TV these days now that's like mainstream television that... Mm. It's just mental that nearly 12 million people watched yeah. it. Yeah, watch that. <laughs> yeah. And I said, watching a black and white picture, just yeah. one side being focused on and then the other, yeah. 
I know this, there's more stuff to do, but you do have to question why, like, people are chuffed now when Doctor Who gets, like, four million viewers on New Year's Day when there's nothing else to do. Mm. In lockdown. Like, what are the other 60 million people doing in Britain? Other watching than watching TV. <laughs> Minecraft. Kids are doing Minecraft, aren't they? Is yeah. that the kids yeah. still into that? I don't know. Oh, don't God, no. Yes, they are. Okay, um, okay, so that was Sapphire and Steel. Next is something horrific. This is where we recommend something which we've enjoyed since our last podcast. Over the summer, I um, invested heavily in DVDs of the BBC's... DVDs of the BBC's... Um, ghost stories at christmas um strand so obviously you've got the mr james stuff then you've got charles dickens the signalman with denim elliott which is obviously like triple a mega then they went into uh modern territory with two uh the two final ones one i haven't watched the first of those two is called stigma and it's a very strange little half hour of television, all shot on 16mm film. It's a very, very, very odd piece of TV with very strange kind of structure and pacing, a bit like um, our friends Sapphire and Steel. And it's basically about a woman who lives in a Victorian-looking farmhouse next to the stones at Avebury. I don't think Avebury's named at any point but one day some swarthy lusty looking builders come to take a big rock out of her garden because she wants to landscape her garden so they have a lot of um sweaty torsos you know heaving around on this rock then they bring in an absolutely ancient looking tractor and try and lift up this rock as soon as they lift up this rock there's some kind of transference between what's under the rock and the main character of this who is this lady and then she goes through a weird sequence of cooking a big piece of roast beef spending a lot of time in the bathroom half naked so there's a lot of gratuitous nudity of course because it's 1977 um there's a lot of blood and some very weird blood effects uh her daughter is very weird her husband then is played by peter bowles who makes a second appearance this week uh which is nice to hear about peter bowles again and then um, then there's this sequence where she's bled all night. Peter Bowles puts her in the back of this Volvo uh, estate and then tries to drive off, drive her to hospital, while the, the GP is trying to bring her back to life. And then at the end, she's dead. And then it finishes. There's no explanation. There's no... There's no, there's nothing. It's mad. It's absolutely mad. It's like the... the and it's got no 24 di- million viewers. <laughs> there's hardly any dialogue. Um, and you have really got no idea what's just happened to this woman. You don't know what was under the stone. You don't know why she started bleeding. Um, there, You do find out there's a body under the stone, which was kind of stuck there. Uh, with knives to pin it down or something, but wow. you've, you've no idea why that this has transferred into this woman. Um, but I would recommend watching it. It's beautifully shot. It's a very, very weird bit of um, mid-70s folk horror that has more than a foot in the kind of um, 
exploitation horror that British cinema was doing at that point. Mm. So much stuff got made back then when with no one had to explain why they were doing <laughs> it. It's, it's just incredible, isn't it? I, I think I think back then you had men that always men that had probably made money in like casinos or like. Uh, selling fags or something like that that then were just like oh i'm going to be a film magnate now and they'd basically like meet some idiot in a party who wanted to make a horror film they'd pay for the horror film it would be absolutely crap well also you're aware that so many of them were, t- were tax avoidance schemes yeah 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 are, are you yeah, familiar yeah, yeah. with 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 funnily enough the name of one of our our hosts rossminster a tax company that was run by two ex income tax yeah. A- a- employees and they had a vast swathe of the the great and the good including like led zeppelin and roger moore no uh, basically yeah of course because tax in britain in the 70s was so incredibly high um yeah. scum for example you know yeah. the guy is is a film that was made as a tax write-off yeah no way i'm reading way. the um michael palin diaries at the moment and when they were doing the uh, holy grail like all these bands were just desperate to try and get put money into it. And it must've been in order, <laughs> like Led Zeppelin wanted to do the music for um, the Holy Grail. And it, it's just, they was just, it must've been a way of them getting uh, some kind of tax deal. Tax yeah. Break. yeah. 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 Was that, that was George Harrison that put money into that. Wasn't yeah. It? The, yeah. 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 Hand, well, yeah. George Harrison was handmade films. Yeah. yeah. We, we've gone right, and, and did, um, you know, with nail and I, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Time bandits. Time yeah. So uh, I'm do- this week. I'm doing something called the Battlesea Poltergeist, which is on BBC. Sounds. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah. So, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. I think uh, I'm up to episode two or three at the moment. So they're releasing mm. them weekly. Uh, very, again, very much inspired by the Enfield Poltergeist. They. That's not Harry Enfield, is no, it? Please. No, it's not. We've got to do something on the Enfield Poltergeist. That's Definitely. Yeah. We've yeah. got to find. If I can find, there was a, a Halloween special about the Enfield Poltergeist which shit me up, but they played the tape of it. What's the Yeah. There is. There is. Ah, oh, hot Lego. <laughs> th- there is a, a series called Paranormal Lockdown uh, with with Nick Groff, who used to be friends with Zach Bagans, but now he's gone off to do his own a show called. Paranormal Lockdown with Katrina Weedman. They go to um, Pontefract, mm. the town of my birth, and they spend, I think, three nights in a council house which was famously haunted by the Black Monk. Mm, yeah. So Ooh, maybe... Yeah. Which was ma- ma- mainly made puddles of water. So <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you'd look into that one. but there, there was a Maybe really... we should review that. I think we should review that one at some well, point. Well, there's a really good drama about the Info Potter guys with Timothy Spall in it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we, maybe we could do that one. But yeah, the Batty Poltergeist, they're making it out as if it's a real investigation, so that it's kind of mm. a, a mixture of them doing sort of uh, experiments of like how loud you need to um, have the sound of banging uh, uh, for, for your neighbours to hear it down the road, uh, yeah. alongside them doing reenactments of of what actually happened. Uh, mm. For me, the, the reenactments of what actually, I'm doing actually in... Um, inverted commas yeah that, that sort of lets it down a little bit because i feel like the the acting on there's not that great but everything right. else around it is it, really good and um yeah I, i'm really intrigued to see what happens next mm. on it so um recommend you know getting in on that one before it ends the thing that i've got into um 
I've been fascinated by, uh, and one of my favourite books from last year was a book called uh, Republic of Lies by a uh, by a, a lady called Anna Merlin, and yeah. it's a terrific book. And I've always been fascinated by this. Why do people believe in conspiracy theories? What is oh, it about people? And because I don't believe in them at all. I don't believe in it's mm. nonsense. We can go into it. And I spend a lot of time as a teacher having to say, having to explain to students and sort of teenage, teenagers saying, well, mm. you know, think this through logically. Imagine the amount of people that would have to be in on this, you know, because we often talk about things like people who believe the moon landing was faked and things yeah. such as that. You have to go, well, no, but just think about it for a second. In order to make this happen, think about how hard that would be to do. So, but then, of course, people don't think logically. So anyway, I've always been fascinated in that. Um, and then recently, of course, and especially with the um, the attack on uh, Washington, um, mm by kind of Trump supporters in inverted commas uh, just uh, just before the inauguration of, of Joe Biden really brought to my attention this whole thing about QAnon yeah, yeah. and people that mm. are into QAnon and I was always vaguely aware of it but I was like well what is this and then I, I I've retweeted it recently and a journalist uh, for Paste Online which is a, an American site hats off to this guy it's one of the, the longest articles I've read in years but it's genius he said I think someone needs to go through and basically as a you know as a historical record and say here's what these people believed and how is it here's how their beliefs mm. adapted over time mm. and it's just the most fascinating thing and, and the most balmy thing you've ever seen mm. you know their, their belief that kind of like all of hollywood not some mm. all of hollywood the democratic party mm. hillary clinton you know they're all involved in a satanic um, kind of underground pedophile sex ring, literally underground. What, in some cases. Literally underground, and they're drinking the from the from the pineal gland, the fear <laughs> of young children, which is helping them to, to stay young and keep alive. And thousands of people are believing. It. And so now I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated into. A, how do people believe this shit? And B, how has this spread? Mm. Um, so I found, on so after reading this really amazing article, they recommended the Q Anon Anonymous podcast, which is some guys in the States doing just that, kind of breaking down, you know, every time uh, people, you know, every time there have been any of these announcements from Q, just basically saying how mad and vague they are and just saying, like, what have people's responses been? And then in between all of those, they've had people on kind of saying... Oh, um, well, you know, what is blood libel? Why is it that kind of like that, you know, the, and uh, the protocols of the elders of Zion? Why does that keep coming back up? Mm. What's the? So I've just been listening to that and enjoying their hell out of it. Yeah. So there you go. That's my recommendation. <laughs> it's very good. Next time or last time. Next time, we are going to be doing James Herbert's The Rats. The Rats. Oh, no. Brace yourselves, people. Or it might be might be brilliant. Tune in and find out. Okay. Uh, John's battery's gone, so I, what I'm going to do is just say, um, well, thank you very much for listening. Well, so Indeed, if, you, if you and I finish off, and then I'll just I'll copy some audio from him from another episode saying goodbye, yeah? Okay, absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, as always, thank you, everybody, wherever this finds you. Hope you enjoy, enjoyed our rambling ways. And we hope we'll look forward to joining you again soon with the rats. Yeah, thank you very much. And Q John saying peace and love, peace and love. Love, light, and peace. <laughs> love and light. Love, light, and peace. <laughs> love, light, and peace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
You have been listening to The General Witchfinders. Support the show and continue the conversation at patreon.com forward slash general witchfinders. Subscribe and spread the word at generalwitchfinders.com. Farewell. And don't have nightmares. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.